0: This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Herbie Newell on viewing pro-life as whole life. Herbie Newell is the President and Executive Director of Lifeline Children's Services. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2022 general assembly let's listen as mr newell provides insights on viewing pro-life as whole life
1: if you have a bible we're actually going to look at colossians chapter one uh hopefully you at least have a phone and can go to colossians chapter one and I, i just want us this afternoon to look specifically uh, at living out the gospel center justice to defend life. What does that look like? Uh, what does that mean? Uh, how do we do that? Uh, it's so important right now in the day and age that we are that we defend life and as churches that, that we become the center place of the defense of life. You know, for so many, uh, this is, we believe almost that the pro life ministry or the pro life space or defending life needs to be relegated to nonprofit ministries or other ministries outside of the church but i hope today that we will see that the greatest pro-life ministry needs to happen inside of the church and so the ministry that i run we talk about it all the time we hope one day that we won't be needed anymore because we can totally equip the church to do this ministry and the church will be able to be the beacon and the place where women and children and vulnerable families can find refuge and that we're living out the hope of the gospel, our gospel calling in such a way for these women and these children and these families that they will find the hope and the healing. Uh, many of you may know we're waiting for a decision. Today was Opinion Day at the Supreme Court, and uh, several of us were refreshing every 10 minutes to see the next opinion come forth, to see if maybe the Dobbs versus Jackson case would would come out and we'd finally have that opinion. Uh Probably you know that there was a leaked opinion that came out in the earlier part of May uh, that was widely distributed. A lot of us have been hopefully, hopefully optimistic that that would be the decision of the court. I had the opportunity to be at the Supreme Court on December 1st for the oral arguments and uh, had the opportunity to meet with the Chief Justice or the Attorney General of Mississippi as well as the Solicitor General. And they both felt very confident, even in the questions that were being asked by the justices, that there was an opportunity that Roe versus Wade could be overturned, and not just Roe, but Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, a, a case that has happened almost 50 years ago, 49 and a half years ago. But here's what I want us to see today: if that happens, uh, and if you're probably not going to see that until June 30th, the very last day of the term, see what that decision is. If that happens, the fight for life has not ended. As a matter of fact, there are many states that will have even more aggressive abortion laws than what we see right now through Roe versus Wade. California is pushing uh, a 30-day, which there's no other way to call it, but infanticide, where 30 days post-birth that a mother could take the life of her child without criminal penalty. Uh, New York is looking to try to do the same thing and follow suit. Oregon, Illinois, other progressive states are looking to follow suit. For many of us, you may live in one of the 24 states that have trigger laws. So we're actually domiciled right now in the state, Alabama, that if Dobbs versus Jackson overturns Roe versus Wade, there will be a ban on abortion here in Alabama. There will be a 15-week ban uh, next door in Mississippi. There will be a heartbeat bill in Georgia. Tennessee will have a heartbeat bill. Texas will have a heartbeat bill. And 19 other states will have similar type bills that will go into effect to protect life. 26 will have no such provision or will become more aggressive. And so, church, what I hope we see today is, yes, we hope that the Supreme Court will reverse a decision that was on bad precedent, was on bad judgment, and was not founded. But ultimately, the the fight for life is not one in courtrooms, it's not one in the legislatures, but it's one in the hearts and the lives and souls of men. And so, as the church, we need to be preaching the gospel. As the church, we need to be holding... High the banner of why we believe that every life is precious and every life is worth being defended. And so with that, I want us to look at the book of Colossians. And I think Colossians is a great place for us to look uh, to see this ministry that we've been given. We're going to look first at the preeminence of Christ and why we, as God's people, this side of the cross, believe it is so important. We could certainly go back to Genesis chapter 1 and see that God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created, he, them, male and female, he created them. You can tell I did Bible drill with the KJV. So that was the KJV, right, of Genesis 1, We know that, that there's, there's a speak of life, the Word does, but on the other side of the cross, it's even more important that we be those that echo life and that talk about life. So starting in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, He, being Christ, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So the first thing that I want us to see, and and if you've got your sheet on the other side, uh, there are some simple notes, and um, you can take them or leave them, but, but the first thing I want to see is sympathy And empathy should never be an excuse for our apathy against injustice. So we can't just be sympathetic or empathetic. We cannot be apathetic towards injustice. But five reminders that we see from this passage that lead us to the gospel and that propel gospel justice for the vulnerable. And so even as we start, I want you to see that our hope in doing justice for the vulnerable and speaking out for life in the womb is not a social Justice, but it's a gospel-driven justice, and there, there's a there's a big difference. You know, a lot of times churches are split over more of a social justice or a more of a gospel, biblical bent. And I hope that we see from God's word throughout, implicit in God's word, that God doesn't just call us to justice; He calls us to justice, in, by making the gospel known and the word known, the word is preeminent in how we do justice. The Word is preeminent in what we do. We show justice to the woman that's going through a crisis pregnancy ultimately so we can point her to the reality of the Word of God for her and to help her see who she is and who she can be in Christ. The Word is preeminent in everything that we do. We don't do justice for justice' sake. We do justice because we've been saved by the Gospel. And the great imagery of adoption, even in God's Word, is that while we were yet sinners, while we were alienated, while we were orphans, Christ died for us. It was not a legalistic, we didn't work towards it. If you think even about an adoption, a baby doesn't choose parents to be adopted by. The parents choose the baby. And in the same way in our salvation, there's nothing that we can do. We, we can't make ourselves cute, we can't make ourselves adorable. As a matter of fact, the Word of God tells us that all even our righteous acts were but filthy rags. But yet Christ, in His grace, in His mercy, He sought us out. And so, brothers and sisters, the reason that we seek out the vulnerable, the vulnerable woman, the vulnerable child, the vulnerable family, is because we understand what it means to be sought out. In God's grace, He chose us. In God's grace, He brought us into His family. And so, a couple of things, a couple of reminders that lead us to the gospel and propel gospel justice for the vulnerable, the first thing is that all life is created by God and is precious. We see again in verse 16 that for by Him, and we know this truth from John chapter 1, that Christ was in the beginning with God, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Brothers and sisters, our Savior, Christ Jesus, literally at the beginning of creation, formed life to be in the image of God. Our Savior, our redemption, is the one that created life. All life is created by God, and all life is precious. And men and women, therefore, are uniquely and wonderfully made by God. And you see this happen all around the world. We have an attack on life, and in so many countries, there's even gender selection. Where uh, in China, for so long, there's a one-child policy, and 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 men were boys were preferred over girls, and you had a genocide of little girl babies in wombs that were aborted, all because of this gender selection, right? And we see that God created men and women uniquely, and He created them wonderfully. And Psalm 139 reminds us, for you. Formed my inward parts, verse 13. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when there was yet none. You know, the common refrain of Genesis is that God saw it. And it was really good. And then in verse 18, we see that for the first time in the creation story, there's something that God says is not quite perfect. And in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord said, It is not good that man shall be alone. And He said, I will make a helper fit for him. Brothers and sisters, I think one of the first things we must do in pro-life ministry is we must be pro-family. God made the family for human flourishing. He made the family for the, the system where human beings would come and they would flourish. Kids need moms. Kids need dads. We need, to, we need to be making sure that we are supporting families within our churches, within our communities. Families are the place where humans can flourish. Families are the place where children were meant to be. We have a war on the family. As a matter of fact, I several years ago, I went to a conference because as a ministry uh, in 2014 when the Obergefell decision came down legalizing same-sex marriage. uh, It hit us in child welfare, as a child welfare ministry, it hit us at the core. Because many of you may not know, the whole reason that marriage is even legalized in the United States is for the protection of children. As a matter of fact, it wasn't because we were a Judeo-Christian nation. It was because property rights, inheritance rights. like. We need to legalize marriage so we know what to do with children should their parents pass away. And so if you say now marriage can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, you're actually also inserting that it's also okay for a man and a man to have children or a woman and a woman to have children. And we knew at the very core that we would be under attack. And I started thinking and praying and asking others, how did we get here this fast? Like, how did we get here this fast? And... Uh, One of the things that that really hit me, I was in Dallas, Texas at the Liberty Institute, and they're like uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. They help protect ministries and churches uh, with legal issues. And the guy that was speaking, he said, we lost this with probably the pro-life agenda's favorite president, Ronald Reagan. When he was governor of California, he legalized no contest divorce. And when he did that, in 1971, the church was silent." The church didn't speak up. Gospel people didn't speak up to the to the the redefinition of how you could be married, that you could have a no contest divorce. Well, soon after that, in 1973, right? If you can determine when you want to be married and when you don't want to be married, you see in the 70s the free love act, and of course that leads to. Uh, the idea that, well, if, if I can choose to be married and I can love anyone I want to, well, then I should not have any consequences of this. And you see abortion come in 1973 in Roe versus Wade. And then after that, you start to just see it, the, the, the family erode over and over and over again. But brothers and sisters, we don't have to go far, but go back to Genesis chapter 3 and see that the attack, yes, it was vertically that Satan made against man. It was vertically God and man trying to, to separate that relationship, but secondarily, it was horizontal. It was it was a war between man and woman, between husband and wife. There was enmity that was put there by our adversary. The adversary knew that human flourishing was going to be dependent upon man and woman and family units. And if he could bring enmity there, not just enmity between God, but relational enmity then He could absolutely begin to, to control and, and, and society. And so we as the church have been given the gospel. We need to make sure that we are repairing families. Next thing is humanity was created for God. So we were made, made for God, for His glory, for His pleasure. And that's the, that's the next thing is that God supernaturally designed us to be satisfied in Him and Him alone. And so God made creation for His glory. Humanity, we were created for God to to know Him and to make Him known. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We look again at this passage in Colossians and Verse 17, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So we are to be satisfied in God, and we are to know that our lives are meant for the glory of God in God alone. And so we protect life because we know that all life was created by God and is precious, but our second point is this: we glorify God by our works of gospel-driven justice towards humanity. And so, one of the ways we glorify God is by performing the works of the kingdom. I love Luke chapter four. Uh, many of you may know this passage. Obviously, Jesus comes in, and it's kind of his his entry scene. As Luke, the physician, records it, uh, he comes into his hometown of Nazareth Uh, verse 16 of Luke chapter 4 tells us he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up and read and it says the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then verse 20 says, And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. If you have or have been around teenagers, you know they call this a mic drop, right? So that's what, that's what Jesus did. He, he quotes, reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, Kind of puts the mic down, sits down, and says, All the eyes of the synagogue were on him. Why? Because he says, This passage has been fulfilled for you today. This passage has been fulfilled for you. That's what he says, verse 21 Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so then they start to mar- marvel like, who is this? Is this really Joseph's son? Right? They, 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 who is this? What is He saying? That He's coming to fulfill Isaiah chapter 61? But brothers and sisters, that's exactly what Jesus came to do, and that's the ministry He came to give us. The first thing He says is, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. And Jesus was saying spiritually and physically, I've come to, to bring good news to the poor. And you see throughout Jesus' ministry, He goes to the poor, He goes to the social outcasts, He goes to the downtrodden, the ones that were least expected. But He didn't go to give them physical riches. He knew they weren't just poor physically, but they were poor
0: spiritually.
1: He went to go minister to the gospel of Christ Jesus, of His own name and His Father's name, to those who were poor. And in the same way, beloved, we go to the poor, not because we're driven by prosperity or we're driven by meeting uh, needs, necessarily just a physical poverty. We go to the poor because we want to preach the gospel to those that are physically and spiritually poor. Because we echo the, the drive of our Savior. We want to go after what our Savior says. And so when we care for women in vulnerable pregnancies, in vulnerable situations that are at the lowest of the socioeconomic, we don't want to just help them physically. We want to help them physically and we want to help them
0: spiritually.
1: And we want them to know that the greatest riches and the greatest treasures are those of our kingdom the kingdom of the lord and we want to make sure that we're caring for the poor but then second he says he's come to proclaim liberty to the captives and we know that there are those who are captive to sin but there are also those that are literally held captive right now you're in birmingham alabama and if you're not from birmingham alabama uh i-2059 is called the the super highway of human trafficking between, uh, between Atlanta and New Orleans, more human trafficking goes through this road right here. And there are ministries here in Birmingham that are rescuing women who are being, and children who have been trafficked along this superhighway. 2059, the human trafficking superhighway of the United States, right here, runs through Birmingham, Alabama. There are literally those who are being trafficked in our own country and around the world. And so we've been called by Christ, and He was called to release those who are physically captive, but also we know that here in the United States and around the world, there are those who are spiritually captive. And they have never heard the grace and the goodness of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And we've been called to preach the gospel and to make it known. And we preach the gospel to those who have been captive. And many of the women that come into crisis pregnancy centers or that are seeking uh, answers for what will they do with this life inside of them, they're captivated they've been captivated i can't tell you how many times we hear from vulnerable women and she has just enough money in her pocket to get an abortion that was given to her by the man that got her pregnant and so instead of wanting to help her physically instead of doing his duty he gives her just enough money to go get an abortion and i i commend to you i don't usually commend and i'm sorry if anyone is in the christian movie business sometimes they're a little cheesy um, this one is a little cheesy, but there's a movie that's coming out, uh, Life Mark, by the Kendrick Brothers. Um, if anyone's related to them, it's really good. I didn't call it cheesy. It is a little cheesy, um, but it's really good, and it's a very good story of life and what it really looks like, and I know Dr. Rick and I got to see a screening last week of the movie, and it is so accurate. It comes out on Labor Day weekend, Life Mark. I commend the movie to you. It is such a... Uh, take your church, take your church members. It is such a, a good portrayal of what really happens uh, in the fight for life. Uh, quickly, I'll, I'll tell you. We had a, a young lady uh, who was impregnated uh, by a man who was was holding her captive. Uh, had, wanted to have nothing to do with her once he found out she was pregnant. Uh, she went to abortion clinic over in Atlanta, Georgia, and. She had a sonogram and she saw a check come up on the nurse that was doing the the sonogram and she says, I wanna see the ultrasound. I wanna see the pictures. And they said, well, it's not our policy to show those. We do those for the health records. It's just gonna go in your record. You don't need to worry about it. And she said, yeah, but you you made a face. And she said, don't worry about it. We're gonna put it in your record. You don't need to see it. She said, I'm not going through this procedure until you show me that ultrasound. turn it around and she saw that she didn't have just one but she had two babies in her womb and so she goes and she sits out in the lobby by God's grace and his sovereignty uh, she tells the story much better than I do Uh, a lady comes up to her that she had not seen on her way in and we're not talking outside of the abortion clinic we're talking inside the abortion clinic looks at her and says leave immediately and don't ever turn back she goes she gets in her car as soon as she turns her car on her uncle calls her from uh, a church in North Alabama and says, Hey, Lily, how are you doing today? And she says, I'm not doing that well. And she says, What's going on? he says, uh, She says, Well, I just found out I'm having twins, and I almost aborted them. Long story short, he and their church brought her in. She was able to actually speak in an event we did at Mississippi about the Dobbs case and gave testimony to life and how she is now walking with the Lord because of the way this, her uncle got her in church and this church wrapped around her and literally has taken care of her and walked her through her pregnancy. Brothers and sisters, when there are those that are captive, not only do they need to be rescued physically, but they need to be rescued spiritually. Um, Then third that we see in Luke chapter 4 is we see the blind. And there are those that are physically hurting. There are blind and deaf all around the world. There are those that that have some sort of special need. And as the Church of Jesus Christ, we look at those children and we don't define them by their need or their lack of physical ability. We look at them as image bearers of God. Today, right now, in Iceland, they have said they have completely eradicated Down syndrome because they're doing uh, amniocentesis in the womb and if a mom is seen to be carrying a child with Down syndrome, it's instant termination. And they're bragging because they have eliminated Down syndrome in their country. Brothers and sisters, we are called to fight for the image bearers of God. And there are those that are blind, not just physically, but there are those that are blind spiritually. And we must preach the Gospel of them. And that was the message of Jesus, right? That, that He comes to, to, to let the light of the Gospel known. While we were sinners, captive, blind, and oppressed, Christ died for us. That's why it's so important that this ministry be done by gospel-driven churches. But then third, true hope comes from the guarantee of Christ that this fallen world is not our home. Verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1, it says this, it says, "...through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." Paul says that God reconciled all things to Himself. And we serve a reconciling God and we are to be about the message and the work of reconciliation. And we do this knowing that it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. The pro-life movement is messy. It's hard. It's difficult. And even right now, be praying for your local pro-life ministries. Uh, James Revenge and Ruth sent us have put out press releases that on the night of the decision of the Supreme Court, they're calling people in all 50 states to attack. Physically, uh, pro-life centers, um, and, and pro-life ministries at 8 p.m. Uh, the night of the decision. It's hard. This is a tough work. There's, 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 you're, you're in a battle between light and darkness. My youngest little girl, is. her name is Emily, and she wakes up every morning at a very bright and early time. Uh, she, uh, she probably takes after me a little bit. I love my wife. She does not take after my wife. Um, but sometimes I do like to sleep in, which some of my staff might not believe. I'm known not to sleep much, but I, I do like to sleep in to like 6.30 or 7 on a Saturday morning. Well, I remember when my little Emily was about five or six years old, she would come into the room and she would flip on the lights on a Saturday morning at 5 a.m. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody's shines a light and you're in deep sleep at 5 a.m., you're probably not the most pleasant person And the only thing I could say to little curly-top Emily that's just precious is, turn off the light. And I'm going to be honest, I probably didn't say it in the nicest kind of way. right? Because when you're in darkness and someone shines light in your face, you want to do everything but to, you want to expel the light. And we need to know when we take the light of the gospel of Christ Jesus into some of the darkest places, those dark places will attack. They want to get rid of the light. But we have hope that, that this is not our home. And so we're willing to risk it all because we're not living for the world's pleasures, but we're living for another kingdom. I love what, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11-12. through 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that brings us to the fourth point, that gospel-driven justice brings trials and sufferings. But Jesus brings peace, joy, hope, and strength. If you keep on reading in Colossians, Paul goes on in verse 24, and he says, I rejoice, have great joy in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. Brothers and sisters, God always calls us to more than we can handle ourselves, yet He will always give us His abiding presence. He always calls us to more than we can handle ourselves, but He gives us His presence. He's called us to something that we can't accomplish on our own. He's called us to something that we can't accomplish with all of the resources that we have intellectually and, and uh, uh, physically, the physical resources. He's actually called us to the end of ourselves so that in the end, He will be glorified. Not because of what we did, but because of what He is able to accomplish through us. So, for those of you who are weary and burdened today maybe you're a pastor or an elder or you're in this pro-life ministry and you're just weary and you're burdened because this is is difficult and it's hard and you've had the attacks of the adversary know that he is attacking because he deems you as a threat so do not shrink back but go forward you don't attack those things that you don't see as threatening and the adversary is attacking because he sees you as threatening. So take heart. Because God will give you His abiding presence. And I know that's probably not the greatest sales pitch to say, hey, here's why you need to get engaged in gospel-driven justice and pro-life ministry. Because you're going to suffer. And you're going to go through trials. And you're going to go through tribulations. But ultimately, with the hope of knowing that this isn't our home, we're doing it because we play for an audience of one, our Savior Jesus Christ. But then fifth, all works of justice that are separated from gospel proclamation are futile. We can do this work, but if we divorce it from the gospel and from the word of God, it's completely futile. Verses 21-23, through 23, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Again, Paul's reminding us, this gospel was preached to us. The reason we're preaching the gospel is because that is our story. It's our testimony He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Recently, there were some stats that came out um, from some pro-life sources Uh, Embraced Grace is actually a ministry that we partner with. and uh, They did a survey and have put some things together and have found that a woman who is pregnant unexpectedly that chooses life and ends up getting engaged with a local church, a local gospel-believing, Bible-believing church, she's 75% less likely to ever get pregnant outside of marriage again. This is not because of some secret sauce in the church of the people, this is because the Gospel of Christ Jesus. When we know who we really are, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, while we were warring against Him, that His grace was sufficient, it changes the way we act. It changes our lives. It changes our trajectory. And so we need to preach the Gospel. We we can't ever divorce this justice from Gospel proclamation. And ultimately... I want us to know that, that God is, is patient with us. But this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-2 through says. It says, Working together with Him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a time of God's sweet, abundant grace where He has given sinners the opportunity to repent and to believe and to follow after Him. But there will be a day of judgment that's coming. And at this point, we've been called to preach the Gospel. And by preaching the Gospel, it means we go into the hard places. It means we go into the difficult places. It means that we go and we take the light and the hope of the Gospel to bear for women, for children. For vulnerable families. So, I want to highlight real quick five areas of the five areas of ministry uh, that we have at Lifeline to help you understand how your church can get engaged. And we're going to try the video one more time and then we're going to open up for questions. So, uh, real quickly, not going in any order, pregnancy ministry. Uh, it's very relevant. We could see Roe versus Wade overturned, and we need to be ready to minister to vulnerable women. I want to let you also know, if you live in one of the 24 states that has a trigger law, COVID did something uh, that was very, very damaging to the pro-life uh, movement. And because of COVID, now Planned Parenthood can ship abortifacients to all 50 states and get past their Secretary of State. And so if you live in an abortion-safe state, you need to go to your Secretary of State, to your governor, to your legislature, and you need to make sure that they ban the interstate commerce of the abortifacient pills. 60% of all abortions today in the United States are done by the abortion pill. And those can be reversed. If a woman gets the abortion reversal pill, that can be reversed, but she has to have it within 72 hours. And so don't think that your your state is safe just because you may have a ban or you may have a restriction. Abortifacients, so we need to be ministering to women. Uh, what we have found is that women who take the abortion pill have instant regret. And start to seek out for help instantly Um, they have instant regret with a medical abortion as well the difference is there's nothing they can do to reverse it they're told with the abortion pill that they have 72 hours before it will take effect and in that 72 hours they're looking for help and they're looking for hope so no we've got to be active with these women we've got to be ready and willing to to get in touch with a woman i'm going to give you an organization that i suggest just because i know They have a lot of the abortion reversal pill, and that's Human Coalition. They actually have a large, that's humancoalition.org. They have a large supply of the abortion pill reversal, and they can get it out within 24 hours to a woman in need. So that's humancoalition.org. We've got to be about pregnancy ministry. I think also if our churches are in safe states where maybe there are abortion restrictions or bans, we need to be thinking...
0: That is for sure. We
1: need to be thinking in some ways about going to these other states like California and New York and Illinois and Oregon and others, and we need to go help our churches. We need to help our brothers and sisters in those states preserve life in their states. The second thing that we're going to see is that's going to become so important is family restoration. Uh, I was on a call this morning at uh, 8 o'clock with the governor of Mississippi Uh, Tate Reeves and some folks on his staff and one of the things they realize is if if Dobbs does prevail and Roe v Wade is overturned they're gonna have to really take seriously their child welfare because that means they've been told that the child welfare system could actually double within the state of Mississippi and I can go in and tell you right now uh, there are those that are trying to do hit pieces on Mississippi and trying to discredit Mississippi right now And so we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can for family restoration. Uh, One of the programs we have is something called Families Count, and we would love to partner with your church on that. And that's actually helping uh, families and children who've lost their kids to foster care go through the steps they need to get their kids back out of foster care. And So we don't need to just be looking to recruit foster families, but getting kids out of the foster care system. Uh, Education and counseling. This is a big piece for those who have adopted or fostered. And even for those families who are reunified, they need education help and they need counseling help because ultimately we want to be a holistic, gospel-driven organization, and we want men and women to be able to reach the heart of their children for Christ. And so many times they need education and counseling. And then global orphan care. We need to realize that this pro-life battle is not just here in the United States, but it's around the world. And we also need to be helping those kids that are living in orphanages around the world hear the hope of the gospel. And one of the ways we do that is by equipping the global church. This is not a call just to uh, the church in North America, but the global church to care for orphans and vulnerable children. And last, but certainly not least, uh, we need to look at adoption ministry and giving permanence to kids uh, who may need homes through adoption.
0: You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.